I like to think in experiments, not campaigns. If you think of everything you do as a marketing team as an experiment, then you're not going to fail because you're going to constantly hypothesize, learn, document, and decide whether you're going to rinse and repeat. Are you going to scale what you've tried or what would you try differently? That's Munbir Sodia, VP of Growth at Aura. His work to optimize their funnel never ends. He's constantly experimenting, collecting data, and discovering what's going to help their customers buy their product. CRO is a team sport, and you cannot just limit it to the top of the funnel. His team has to partner across the organization to get their CRO program done. It's not just limited to fit within a few pockets within a growth team. You have to work closely with folks across your entire organization to get buy-in and support. Ultimately, I think this is how most companies can grow and learn and get more efficient is by having a constant CRO program. Or is the company behind the Aura Smart Ring, which collects and delivers personal health insights simply by wearing a ring on your finger. Today, Munbeer joins us to share his experimentation philosophy, how they're using Rockerbox to optimize their return on ad spend, and using Full Story to learn more about the customer journey. This is Dan McGaw. I'm the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw.io. Each week, I get to speak to executives and find the strategies and tactics they're using to drive revenue, and I'll dig into the tools they're using to get it done. This week, I've got Munbir Sodia, the VP of Growth at Aura. Now, before we jump in, make sure you hit that follow button to catch us each week. But let's jump into this episode. Hey, uh, this is Munbir Sodia, and I'm the VP of Growth Marketing at Aura. Thanks for being able to join us, man. I've been super excited to be able to chat with you again. I know we've been talking over the past couple of weeks in regards to kind of Aura and all that stuff, but can you give us just kind of from a high level, like, how would you explain Aura? Because I got the ring. Like, this thing is super cool. How would you describe it, though? The Aura ring is the world's most accurate smart ring. It's something that you carry with you everywhere you go. So imagine having a wearable that you actually want to wear. There are so many signals that this ring can collect from body temperature to your heart rate, heart rate variability, blood oxygen, various other metrics. And it's delivered to you in a really human, personalized way. If you are a pro athlete or if you're really into optimizing your health, this is going to help supercharge what you're doing. But if you're new to focusing on your personal well-being, you want to get a few more hours of sleep, you want to understand why you're tired. Someone had once said, uh, it's like a check engine sign for your body. Now, help me better understand the business model. I know there's an upfront cost and then there's some more, but what's the business model for Aura? We are a consumer electronics company, but we are more than just hardware. The experience really is all about the member experience. Our product is available on our website. We are a direct-to-consumer company. We also have an enterprise presence and You'll hopefully be seeing us in more retail in the future. It starts with having the actual ring. That's where the experience begins, but it then continues with you uh, through your membership. And so we do have a monthly membership program, and uh, that really helps you then keep getting those great insights and keep getting those personalized recommendations. There are a lot of delightful moments really baked into the product that you know we don't really advertise a whole lot, but you get to see it once you try it. The best products, honestly, are products where people get to find those delightful moments over time. 
So you buy the product direct to consumer on the website. And then you, there's a mobile app, which the app syncs with. And then there's a membership for the app itself and the data. Now, does the app make it so that, like, is there like a freemium model? So I have the ring and I can use some part of the app without paying? Or is it to have the mobile app over the long haul, I have to pay for it? We do offer an initial membership period that's included that lets you get the full experience of, of the ring and the app working together. If you ultimately choose to opt out of that, then we do have a sort of a base experience. I'll be honest with you, it is somewhat limited. You'll still get your daily scores, but you know, it's strongly encouraged to get the full experience. Really, like I said, I can't live without it. But you know what? I will say this. If you look at other wearables, other similar apps that are out there in the space, it takes a very hardworking, complex, dedicated team of folks, you know, and I'm not talking about marketing, I'm talking about what you see in the rest of the company, people who are developing the product, people who are keeping the the data set up properly, um, engineers, ops, CX, so many others, just paying for cloud storage, right? You could have a uh, a company that solves for that by advertising and paying for ads in an app, and somehow that just pays the bills and keeps the lights on. We would never do that as a company. Yes, you have to pay for a membership, and I know a lot of other companies have moved to membership in the last few years, but hopefully for most folks, when they get to experience and try this and use this and feel that they're a member, it's not a transactional membership. This is something, hopefully, that gives you value over time. Yeah. I guess in your role as the VP of marketing, so I'm going to assume you have a varying goals in regards to each stage of that buyer journey. I mean, what are the main goals that you're tracking, main metrics that you're tracking that you're most focused on? Let's start with what's in my scope as VP of growth marketing and what does my team, what does my org really represent? So I've always seen growth as a spectrum and there's really two poles within that spectrum. On one side, you're doing everything you can to drive paid or organic traffic to a site or a product. And so your KPIs on that side are going to be cost per acquisition, CPA, or another common identical KPI that we use is CAC, customer acquisition cost. On the other side of that spectrum, though, you have things that are more oriented towards product growth. So you're looking at uh, LTV, you're looking at cart value, revenue, conversion rates, I think really what binds both of those together is an understanding of measurement, an understanding of what is bringing people to your website, what are those main motivators, what are they looking for. And so conversion optimization, I think, is really the heart of it all. But today, my team is really set up under three pillars. We have our media and acquisition team, which focuses on media buying from anything as upper funnel as TV, streaming, video, podcasts, paid social, digital advertising, search, out of home, you name it. We then have a group that is focused on, we call them our commerce team, commerce mission. It's a product-oriented team with PMs, UX, UI folks who partner very closely and work closely with our engineering group, building out incredible web experiences and uh, helping to ensure that we've got a high converting customer journey, one that people love, one that feels seamless, low friction, lots of delight in that experience as well. And then an analytics team, a growth analytics team, really there to support both sides from the product-oriented side or the marketing media-oriented side. 
we were talking earlier in your pre-interview, you know, your team is heavily focused on multi-touch attribution and ROAS. Tell me about your approach to multi-touch attribution and finding return on ad spend to help with acquisition. I like to first think about the means to attribution. What are we using to build a foundation of data that we can trust in order to inform our decisions? Multi-touch attribution, I think, in this day and age is more important than ever, given the current landscape of marketing channels that are available, and especially as you want to scale into offline channels or channels that are less focused on on click attribution and more on on things like view-through. So I recommend all marketers should have a way to triangulate between multi-touch attribution view and in-channel attribution view and a post-checkout survey. It's important to look at all three. You can trust all three in different ways, but they're never going to be apples to apples. And so it's important to monitor various different sources and to triangulate and to try to understand patterns over time and if those patterns are consistent. Our team starts with having a base of tools that we have instrumented and trust and we've calibrated to work well with our channel mix. We also test constantly, running incrementality tests to make sure that are these channels that are reporting the numbers we're seeing accurate? And what's that really that cross-channel influence that takes place? Is there a, a halo effect that one channel might offer that others don't? The great thing about growth marketing is that you're always in test mode, you're always experimenting. So our team really is designed in a way where we think more around experiments than we do campaigns. Now, you had talked about incrementality. A lot of people aren't familiar with that yet. Like, Help me better understand what would you mean incrementality means. If you were advertising on a platform, and if on that platform for some reason you were going to acquire those customers anyways, they would have come to your site, were you just paying an advertising platform media investment and those, those people would have likely come to your site and convert it anyways. That's something you want to avoid at all costs. And so you want to make sure that when you're looking for incremental users, when you're searching for, and especially as you're going for higher reach, broader targeting, you're building bigger audiences, you want to make sure that people who are visiting your website and ultimately converting for your product are folks who wouldn't have visited anyways. So you want to make sure that the investments you make are smart investments and you're ideally reaching newer audiences and you're bringing people into the fold who otherwise would have, might have not considered your product at all. Incrementality is something most marketers have not really heard of yet. Yes, I know all of you have heard of multi-touch attribution, first-touch attribution, and last-touch attribution. But what if I told you all of those attribution models are lying to you? Incrementality testing is a process to see how much your advertising is actually helping you. Let me give you an example to better explain this. Let's say you're Aura Ring and you're running a Google ad for your branded search terms. This would put your ad in direct competition with your organic search. With multi-touch attribution or last-touch attribution, you could easily measure the last click is coming from the branded campaign or the organic search. But you'd have to ask if that person would have converted if your ad wasn't there. Did you pay for something that you could have received for free? This is exactly why incrementality testing is so important. Just like testing a website, you can test your ads to figure out the incremental lift you get from those ads or even other marketing campaigns. This testing is done by creating a control group that sees the campaign and a variant group that will not see the campaign. 
Typically, the variant group is 10 to 20% of the total audience, and you need to make sure that the variant group is large enough for you to be able to see if it's statistically significant. You can do this testing across Google Ads, remarketing, Facebook ads, or even email. For your test, you'd need to measure these cohorts against each other to find out the conversion rate. Let's say the control group, the ones that see your campaign, convert at a 13%. Then the variant who do not see the campaign convert at a 10%. This would mean your campaign is creating an incremental lift of 23% over doing nothing. Now let's imagine your control group converted at 10% and your variant group with no campaign converted at 10% too. This would mean that you're paying money for conversions that you would have received anyways and are basically wasting money. This happens a lot when you're running branded campaigns, but it also happens whenever you run marketing in general. But wait, there's a whole lot more to this puzzle than just this. What if those branded campaigns gave you a lift on other campaigns? Or what if you ran remarketing and no one clicked on those ads and you had high view through conversions and those marketing ads provided a lift in conversions on other channels? As you can see, there's a rabbit hole of information and variations we can run through. You should probably do your own research to understand how incrementality works across all of your marketing channels. Go check out my interview with John Miller, CMO of Demandbase a few weeks ago, as we chatted about how ads can lift other channels' conversions. To up your game on incrementality, I would Google it and also Google media mix modeling, which is a pretty expensive way to run this stuff. There's a lot of valuable information out there that I don't have time to teach here. Before we get back to Munbeer, hit that subscribe button to catch us each week. Okay, let's get back to Munbeer. I'm a big fan of this company called Rockerbox. We've been working with them for some time and I would argue that if there's a better platform or solution out there. I haven't found out about it yet. My loyalty is not with any company. It's with who's going to give me the best, most reliable data and what's going to work well with the rest of our stack. The great thing about tools like Rockerbox is that you're able to gather inputs across all your various channels. You're able to create a consistent view to understand first touch, any sort of mid-touch points and last touch and really look at a sort of a weighted distribution in terms of what channels are working harder than others. But it, it doesn't end there, really. It works well because our team really leverages it the right way. It gives people sort of a common baseline of knowledge. And it's not just necessarily the tool itself. It's always about the team that's utilizing it and how we're taking advantage of the data. Because you know you can get a lot of great reporting from a tool, whether it's Rockerbox or Google Analytics or Amplitude, but if the team doesn't have a plan to utilize that data and to take actions based off of that data, then you're just paying for a, a monitoring tool. No one really needs that. No, I would totally agree. Now, is Rockerbox helping you with that incrementality as well, or are you doing that with something else? Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, something that has helped us understand and design our experiments around. It's one of several tools in our arsenal to help us understand incrementality, but really I think the holy grail might be media mix modeling, and and that can be quite complex. And I think that's something that all companies should consider at some point. But when you don't have insane budgets and you have to move quickly and you have to make decisions you can trust, you got to go with the best you can get. And in my opinion, Rockerbox is arguably one of the best tools out there right now for MTA. I remember years ago, multi-touch attribution, 2015, 2018, it was like the holy grail. If you can do this, like you're going to be amazing. But in a lot of companies, it didn't really pan out. And the reason why I say that is because they don't have a good team to leverage the data. They don't really know how to make sense of it. And even when I work with teams now, a lot of people are like, well, I have multi-touch attribution and I have my ROAS and I know this, but what do I do now? I guess 
you brought up your team, like it really matters that the team knows what to do with it. So I guess like, how are you leveraging your multi-touch attribution models and Rockerbox as an example, actually in your paid acquisition strategy or your growth strategy? Like how do you actually put that together? We get to understand our budgets. We understand what channels are converting better than others. We understand um, the KPIs that matter to really any marketer. You know, what was the cost to bring someone to our website, and then what was the cost to convert that person along the journey? And so our team uh, members are constantly grading themselves around: Are these tactics that we're employing on these channels effective? By running, scaling one channel up, are we impacting any other channels, or does it not make as much of a difference as we thought? It's really just a bellwether. It allows us to quickly gauge and respond to our performance data outside of in-channel data. Because if you care a lot about Google ads or meta ads or one of those other platforms out there, yes, the, val- the insights they'll share in-channel are still valuable and worth, worth reading into. But you need to have a broader understanding in terms of how your channels compare with one another. I think really that's where an MTA tool helps more than anything else. It allows you to compare and contrast and understand if should we be investing our time in this new channel that others are talking about, or you know we really haven't cracked the code here. So let's take a step back and reevaluate and decide if this one makes sense for us or not. Has multi-touch attribution enabled you to kind of like change the life cycle at all, or the way that you're running your emails, or is it only focused on your advertising right now? It absolutely can help us understand um, life cycle from like a lead gen perspective. And as someone is really in that discovery phase for a product, you know, it's not just you know useful for immediate advertising, right? Like you could have MTA help you understand how are people responding to your your organic content? Are they discovering you through non-brand queries? Maybe someone's interested in heart rate variability. And they go to the Aura Ring website to understand more and learn more about that topic. And then they visit back a few weeks later because now they realize, well, if I want to track this on a regular basis, maybe the Aura Ring is the, the right method for me to get that information. Whether someone came in anonymously to your website, started learning more about your content, or they signed up for a, uh, an email newsletter, or they filled out a quiz and gave you lead information. MTA tools also help you understand the value of those organic channels. And I think it goes hand in hand. You know, you want to have an even field in terms of measurement between your, your life cycle channels and your media channels. I would agree for sure. You definitely want to make sure that you can see those things together. Any big wins that you've gotten from after you've implemented multi-touch and any big wins? Like, did you notice a big increase in efficiency? One that always comes to mind is building confidence in upper funnel plays. TV advertising, I'm stealing a quote from someone who I trust, but they said, what's old is new again when it comes to TV. In the last few years, uh, especially as the pandemic really started, you saw a lot of direct-to-consumer companies really flock to TV advertising. That's really one of the first places they went, especially as they started to see less efficiency on some digital platforms. And I think now more than ever, there are a lot of cord cutters. People are moving away from cable. But TV is changing and, and how we consume content is always changing. You want to advertise in places that are relevant to your target customers. And TV, upper funnel plays, streaming, podcast advertising, these are all places where people can find new incremental and high reach. Having an MTA tool really helps build confidence. It's able to 
ingest data from a multitude of sources, but at the end of the day, your team, your business needs confidence in the investment decisions you're making as an advertiser. I've found MTA to be most beneficial when it comes to upper funnel media. Yeah, and Rockerbox is killing it right now. They're doing a really, really good job. I know their specialty is kind of the D2C and e-commerce space, so do a lot of work there. Earlier, you were mentioning that your team is doing CRO and optimizing the funnel. I know that MTA is probably helping you optimize the funnel before somebody really gets to the website. Why is CRO such a top priority for you? This is one of my favorite topics. And honestly, within the whole growth marketing landscape, I love conversion optimization because it's about understanding uh, user psychology. It's about understanding how do you create continuity from what brought them to your website in the first place? Was there you know, an ad that they saw on TV and then they visited your website? Does that website look like the same company they saw on that TV ad? Or is there something different? Is this what they expected? Are you nurturing your site visitors into getting further and further invested in your funnel? Are you giving them areas where like, it feels more seamless, there's less friction, you're not um, shooting yourself in the own, your own foot by um, getting them off your site, but you're giving them a reason to engage with your content on your website. And ultimately, if your goal is, you know, if you're a direct-to-consumer company, you're looking to sell a product, you care about converting people across that journey. But it's not as simple as going from A to Z right away. You have to really... Um, understand step by step, how do you move someone along that journey? I just think the great thing about CRO is that it allows you to live and breathe and operate in experimentation mode all the time, running A-B tests, multivariate tests, canary tests, geotargeted tests. I want to break in here for a minute and talk about all the different types of testing Munbeer is doing. Everybody knows about A-B testing, but Munbeer's experience has him doing a whole lot more than just a typical A-B split test. So to have some fun and do a little bit of a speed round, let's talk about the types of testing. Munbeer just mentioned the canary test. This name comes from the phrase of the canary in the coal mine, which refers to when coal miners used to bring in that canary into the coal mine and detect toxic gas. If the canary stopped chirping, they knew that they needed to get out because there was too much toxic gas for them to survive. This works in the same way when it comes to testing on your website or ad campaigns. You create a small segment, maybe 1% to 10% of your audience, and you see how they react. This way, if it's a bloodbath and results, you don't kill the business. This is a much safer way to run big swing tests, new features, or even discounts. Another common model is the multivariate test. This is where you have more than just an A-B test and possibly are doing an A-B-C-D-E-F-G variation. Products like Optimize, Intellimize, and Mutiny do these types of tests for you and can even tailor each experience to individual cohorts of users. Sometimes this gets blurred with like personalization. And when you think about true multivariate testing, it's just A-B-C-D tests with more than two variants. Finally is one of my favorites, the one arm bandit test. In the good old days of unregulated slot machines, people would go to five machines and put a coin into each one. If one of those machines hit a winner, then they would dump a bunch of coins into that machine as it was the winning machine. 
This is the same thing that can be done with A-B testing to increase your velocity. Say you have an A-B split test, and after a week, the variant is winning by 25%, but you don't have statistical significance yet. And who wants to wait for six weeks to hit significance? You could turn that variant to 100% to see if the conversion lift holds or if it comes back down to the average. If it stays high, you can hit your statistical significance even faster and reap the rewards. If it goes back down to the average or below, you can turn the test back to 50-50 and wait another week to see if the test is conclusive or something you just need to throw out. For me, it's all about velocity to learning. The faster that I can test and the faster I can learn, the faster I can grow the company. Want to learn more about testing? Just Google Vice Framework and I give you a step-by-step -step guide on how to steal my testing process. Okay, we're all caught up now. Testing and experimenting is a huge part of Munbeer's approach to marketing. So let's hear more about how he prioritizes learnings and experiments over campaigns. I like to think in experiments, not campaigns. I'm not saying campaigns are important. They definitely are important. But if you think of everything you do as a marketing team as an experiment, then you're not going to fail because you're going to constantly hypothesize, learn, document, and decide whether you're going to rinse and repeat. Are you going to scale what you've tried or what would you try differently? Any company can take advantage of CRO. And if you have a healthy structure that supports that, it's a very cross-functional role tool, by the way. You know, It's not just limited to fit within a few pockets within a growth team. You have to work closely with folks across your entire organization to get buy-in and support. But yeah, ultimately, I think this is how most companies can grow and learn and get more efficient is by having a constant CRO program. I love the fact that you say experiments compared to campaigns, because I agree. I think one of the things that people get stuck on is like, this campaign failed. And it's like, no, this campaign didn't fail. This campaign wasn't as successful as we kind of hoped. But what did we learn? Because like, honestly, the learning is the most important part. When you're thinking about running your CRO program, though, I mean, how many experiments are you running at any given time? Like, and then what's the stack you're using to run these experiments? When you think about the CRO program, like, what is the CRO program? We're very fortunate to have some incredible PMs, and one PM in particular who really lives and breathes this on a daily basis, but it's not just limited to that one person who's managing and designing the program. It's having um, folks on the analytics side. It's having folks on design. It's having folks on product marketing. Really uh, having a, a squad in place, and more important than that, having a forum and a centralized ledger where you have a source of truth. And it, look, it could be a Google Sheet. It could be... Uh, some other data tool where you're looking to track these and document these experiments. Ultimately, in terms of the mechanisms to deploy those tests, you know, there's there's free tools out there like Google Optimize, which honestly that's pretty good. Yeah, if you know how to use it well, you can get a lot out of it, and you can run a number of experiments at the same time at no cost. There are way more advanced tools out there like Optimizely, and I've used them before. I think they're incredible, but obviously requires more investment. I like the ease and friendliness of Google Optimize, but you know I think it's more to pair it with tools that help you understand heat mapping. A lot of folks use Hotjar. I love Full Story. I think Full Story has just been excellent. I've I've used them um, at previous companies as well. You know I think you have to use a combination of tools to understand, and not only tools. By the way, uh, we have incredible folks on a UI UX side who are talking to customers. I mean, I think a lot of people forget that. But you know, you need to talk to people who are either in market or talk to your actual 
your people who've converted to understand what do they like, what they didn't like. So it's it's not all quant. Qualitative data is also incredibly important. And and I think having a healthy CRO system is really just documenting those with a centralized ledger over time, using tools like Optimize, Full Story, and talking to your actual customers and coalescing all that together. But wait a second, what are you running your tests with? Are you using Google Optimize or are you using something else? We're using Optimize, yeah, we are. Happy to say that. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's great stuff. They do a good job. Yeah. Now, what? Are, what are, going to CRO in general, I guess, like, what are your biggest wins when you've had CRO? What are some of the biggest learnings you've had? It always boils down to, you have your full funnel conversion rates, but you can find more wins in the step-by-step view um, when looking at conversion what does it take to get someone from your homepage to your product detail page? What does it take to get someone from your product detail page to adding to cart? And then going through each of your checkout step processes. And so you're always going to want to run tests to try to nudge people further along in that journey. Our team will focus on the step-by-step view. It's not about moving one big number on conversion. It's about finding those increments where you can I guess, test the heck out of a step in terms of design, messaging, copy, placements, layout, what brought them to that site. And you get to sort of reimagine what that user experience would be like if you tried something differently. A big thing that we see a lot of teams make a lot of mistakes with is they don't look at what are the step-by-steps through the funnel, right? They're trying to impact the global conversion rate and they're, do- they're kind of like going at everything in different ways. And then I also see a lot of teams just not get really focused on like the high pages in that conversion funnel, right? So like in Google Analytics, there's a reason why pages can have a value to them. And it's because that page is more valuable in that entire funnel. And I see a lot of times people like, oh, we're just going to focus on this page. And it's like, but that page has almost no value. So why are we looking at that? It is high traffic, but in the funnel, it doesn't actually matter. Why are we looking at that high traffic? I guess, is that something that you've ever seen in your past? Is like people focus on the wrong page? One of the things that will change your conversion rate significantly is the quality of traffic that's coming to your site. And that's why it's so important to have these teams working very closely together because your media acquisition folks, people focused on user acquisition, they ideally are placing bets. They're trying to make strategic investments in their strategy where they're looking to bring people who are likely to convert. So when I talked about continuity, Ensuring continuity at the beginning is really the first step. When you're on that landing page or homepage or what have you, I think this is common for most websites that are out there. We're in a world of low patience today. So people will look at the header, they might see the CTA, and they scroll down 20%, 30% of the way. And if they don't, if they're not excited, they'll just close the tab and move on. That's life, right? So you'll have a lot of folks just focus on, well, most of our visits are, are on the landing page or the home page, and we know they're only on the header. So let's put all our time on the header and the CTA. And don't get me wrong, you absolutely should start there and put a lot of time on that because that's the first step. But don't limit it to just that step. Don't spend all your time there. You might find more opportunities later in your funnel to still drive quality traffic through your funnel and through your website and, and convert people and get customers, get members. If you care about cart value, if you care about ASP, if you care about someone who's going to become a customer and stay a customer, not just for a month or two, but they'll want to be invested in your product for years. You have to look at the whole journey. My point here is it's important to look at the high funnel pages, but don't spend a majority of your time there. Give it fair treatment with other parts of the funnel too. 
Yeah, no, I love it. We, I mean, we have a, a, it's called the vice framework, right? That we use here to prioritize all the pages and testing velocity is a big part of that. But impact is a huge part of that as well, right? Like Sean Ellis came up with the ice framework, impact, confidence, and ease, right? I just threw a V on the front. I'm not anything special. I just think velocity is really, really important. So it, it sounds like your team is focused on that. I know, I know one of the things that you had talked about before is the user experience. How are you working to improve that user experience? It sounds like the team focused on user experience is the same team possibly focused on CRO. So like, how big is user experience for you? Oh, it's massive. I mean, fortunately, we have some incredible UX folks on our team who develop our web experiences who I can't imagine us living without. It's so important to spend a ton of time and have an investment in, in web UX early as a company. So like, what? how are you measuring your user experience? What are the tools you're using to track that? So again, I mentioned Full Story is sort of a, a quick quantifiable way for us to understand heat mapping and understand uh, pain points. You know, there's this interesting term called rage clicks where someone's on your website and they just click repeatedly on a certain area because did they understand that area? Did they not understand? Was there an expected functionality they were looking for that wasn't as intended. So there's quantifiable ways through those means and also just following your conversion rate step by step. But I'd say beyond that, it's qualitative and talking to members and also doing exit intent surveys, you know, whether it's an exit intent, an exit survey that was on the homepage or somewhere during your checkout or post-checkout. Now, how are you working to optimize the user experience outside of CRO and some of the other things? You know, having constant alignment with your product teams, your product marketing teams is very key. You know, they're really, again, growth, I think, is somewhat of a, an infrastructure and a system, but we really work well with other groups within marketing and outside of marketing. It's like we're carrying the baton at a certain stage of that journey for the customer. But I think having constant alignment with product marketing is so important, you know, understanding the go-to-market strategy, understanding consumer insights research. Are we actually hitting the right beats with our target audiences? And is this what we expected from our research or is something amiss or are we learning something new? Having a feedback loop with product marketing, consumer insights, I think is one of the most important things to help improve the user journey because they care too. It's not like a sole responsibility of someone on CRO or someone on UX. The whole company has a stake when it comes to Delivering that. And I think another area would be for sure CX and your operations team. And so during the discovery experience to, to buy a product or even after the, someone purchases your product, you need to make sure there's visibility and input from uh, folks who are dedicated towards CX. What are you using to like measure all this stuff outside of full story? Like, what is the analytics product or is it all just GA or? Oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> I think everyone should have GA by default, but I've heard. So many stories of people saying they they don't trust their GA data. You know, if you look at the old version of GA that was more sessions based rather than events based, now with GA four, I've always seen GA as a secondary or tertiary sort of tool to compare. I really really enjoy and we use Amplitude for our product analytics and uh, web analytics, and so you know we'll have multiple spaces within Amplitude for different orgs and different teams. But understanding unique events across that customer journey, I think, is very val- valuable. So, you know, there's other tools out there, obviously, like Mixpanel. Heap was another one that people used to use quite a bit. And I'm sure there's others. But Amplitude has been, for, in my opinion, 
the most user-friendly, most enjoyable experience that I've seen so far. Yeah, Amplitude's a great product. We had their uh, chief product officer, Justin Bauer, on the episode or on the show a few weeks back. He's a great guy and they do a really good job over there. When you think about like advice that you would give to other people that are listening on how can they build their stack, right? And maybe learn from mistakes you've made. How, what would advice would you give people? Yeah, so it really depends on the stage of growth of the company. You know, if you're an earlier startup and you're looking for product market fit, product market channel fit, I'd say start with free tools. Don't invest your time or money into something that's going to cost you a lot. For any business to grow, you need to have some sense of measurement and honestly measurement that you can trust. So look at what's out there that's low cost. Now, if you're further along, if you've raise some funding, if you're growing the business and you have the budget to put towards it, I'd say, yes, absolutely. Invest in a a product analytics tool that helps you understand your audiences and cohorts. Those audiences uh, can't live without an amplitude or a mixed panel. To get to an MTA tool, I would sort of stage gate that based off of your level of media investment and how you're driving people to the website. If you aren't investing too much in media, and you're looking more through like organic flywheels and, and growth loops, and you know maybe your what brings people to your website is is less on advertising and it's more organic. I'd maybe start with having post checkout surveys and using that as a sort of a minimum. I wouldn't really get into MTA unless uh, you had the matching media investment. That's really what I think is the, the most important thing there. Yeah, no, for sure. I think trying to do multi-touch attribution when you're not spending a ton of money on advertising kind of defeats the purpose. You're you're fine with first touch and last touch. This has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a lot of fun to be able to chat with you. I learned a lot about multi-touch attribution and CRO. So thanks for making the time and spending it with us today. Hey, Dan, I really appreciate it. Uh, this is fun and um, happy chatting time. It was super cool to talk to Munbeer and learn about how and why he's all in on experimentation. Let's go over some of the highlights. First, he talked about incrementality. Performing these kinds of tests will play a major part in increasing your ROAS. It can not only help you make important decisions about where to spend, but can also help you decrease the cannibalization of your organic traffic. Munbeer is using Rockerbox for his multi-touch attribution and running his own experiments to test for incrementality. I wonder if Rockerbox is going to launch some sort of incrementality feature soon. Second, we talked about the different types of testings you can run, from canary testing, multivariant testing, and hell, I just talked about incrementality testing. For Munbeer, experimenting is a serious game, and to get optimal results, he practices a lot of different forms of testing. There is a parallel line for a company's growth and the number of tests that they run. One of his big focuses is on collecting qualitative data from heat mapping tools like Hotjar and Full Story, and he finds out things that he can change to give a better customer experience, which ultimately leads to more conversions. That's all we have for this week. Before you go, join our listeners in sharing how you feel by writing us a review. And if you're really excited, hit me up on LinkedIn and join our growing community of podcast advisors. I'll see you next week on The Stack. The Stack.